0: Folks, episode number 91 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxon joining me to my left if you're watching the YouTube screen or also joining me audio version wise myself Noah Grant here for episode number 91 and we're happy to have our listeners as always on the Huskies Warming House podcast the men's hockey team for St. Cloud State has been off this week so we don't have any men's college hockey news to talk about as far as the Huskies are concerned but the women's team was back in action down in Mankato this weekend we'll discuss that as well as some team that's also a little bit down south from the St. Cloud Granite City area some team called the Minnesota Wild that seem to be doing all right as of late Nick we'll have to touch on what their up to and then our extra ice session we're going to talk about a play that shocked the hockey world well i should say the hockey world except for one being in particular that happens to be a certain studio analyst we'll talk about that and more we're going to start off with center ice view news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly roundup center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com
1: He's illustrated weekly roundup. Noah, as you mentioned before, the women's team in action down south of Mankato. And it was a tough weekend for them. They lose Friday, 3 0 at the hands of Mankato. A trio of second period goals is what gave them the advantage in Friday night's series opener. And then moving to today's game, which just got over not too long ago, a little bit tighter. Mankato jumping off to a 2 nothing lead. Allie Cornelius, though. Gets an honest to go in the second to bring it to one goal. Unfortunately, though, it was an empty netter to seal the deal. So a 3-1 Saturday defeat for the Huskies. Um, Sonny O'Holda, although tonight, very good, uh, stopping 30 shots. So unfortunately, Huskies 0-3 also on the power play. And Mankato was 1-2 for 2 on their um, advantages. So uh, unfortunately, Noah, again, women still looking to try to get back in the win column in conference play.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, 6-11 and 1 overall, two eleven and 1 in conference play. They're going to have some time off, just like the men's team. They kind of get back started around the same time. Of course, men's hockey December 30th against Bemidji State in Bemidji that Friday night. While the women's team will be traveling and playing the next day, January 1st, and then the following day, uh, Penn State, Boston University, Syracuse, 2022 Battle of the Berg is where they're going to be facing off out east. Uh, let's go the opposite of out east, uh, Nick. And how about out west? The Arizona Coyotes, their saga continuing, and kind of a confusing story that we're trying to follow. Um apparently they're back square with Gila Ever, Gila River Arena in the city of Glendale and the state of Arizona kind of sort of but not really but kind of. Uh, anyway, $1.3 million dollars in state and city taxes and apparently back rent from what we know um that they've paid all their bills and tax liabilities now beforehand. It was supposed to be um and thankful to Katie Strang of the Athletic who does a fantastic job that the coyotes uh, were going to be out of Gila River Gila River Arena. That's a mouthful um, Um, if they failed to settle up by December 20th. So um, uh, yeah, they were kind of told essentially to not let team employees or arena vendors uh, into the facility until they paid that fee um, after December 20th. And a letter from city manager, Kevin Phelps, who was kind of the representative for the arena and in relation to the city of Glendale said about $250,000 was owed with the rest owed to the state um, in, in relation to that. And he also mentioned that he had a good talk with nhl commissioner gary bettman and informed him of the situation on wednesday because it could be potential travel restrictions and things for nhl teams and it was a pretty short conversation gary bettman essentially thanked him and said this is a very good news and uh no it's not nick as we know that it's a been a 1.7 million dollar bid for the coyotes uh out in tempe near arizona state university and uh the song seven
1: billion i believe right yeah
0: well a lot of money and yeah i think i think The culprit is things aren't going well for Arizona off the
1: ice and on the ice. They really aren't much better, unfortunately. No. And uh, apparently, uh, to build off that, we talked about this last week, Noah, is that there still seems to be um, some involvement, again, with Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport involved in this proposal. Um, Again, these things can drag out months. And so, uh, you know, at first, when the story broke, I really thought that, you know, this would have maybe proved some validity to, Um, that story that broke last week where, um, again, I sort of denounced a little bit as the team is for sale and trying to move again. I I explained that in the last episode, I won't recap it here, but, um, when this, you know, came forward, I, you know, it, it was like, okay, well, something is wrong with the money and, uh, their explanation for this too, Noah is quite curious as a, what they're calling it a human error, um. I don't know how you do a human error for um, this amount of money, Noah, but nonetheless, uh, things still in disarray in Arizona for sure.
0: Yeah, if someone wants to have a human error of that amount of dollars to the Hussies Warming House podcast, we do have an address and a PayPal. So um, <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, Nick, I, I, it's kind of funny. I don't think Arizona right now over the past week uh, is having as much woes GM and franchise-wise, though, as some of the teams around the National Hockey League.
1: Well, you could say either as well as or maybe fresh starts, right? Because a couple of teams did indeed uh, overhaul their front offices. Uh, Vancouver being one of them. Uh, of course, uh, longtime GM Jim Benning and head coach Travis Green um, were related of their duties, uh, bringing in former Pittsburgh Penguins general manager Jim Rutherford. Right now, uh, vice president of hockey operations and interim GM is his official title. So he's uh, will be, I would imagine, part of the search to find a permanent general manager. But as of now, uh, doing dual duties in that uh, case. But uh, you know, how with this former Minnesota Wild coach Bruce Boudreaux was the uh, you know also taking over as head coach, and so far three and zero under uh, under Boudreau uh, out there for Vancouver. So. Uh, you know, it's it's been a good influence so far. I want to see if that uh, success continues out there. Uh, Philadelphia. How about this? Lane Vigneault um, also was sent packing here this last week. Um, and it was Mike Yo, the, another former Minnesota Wild coach. Um, That was the defensive assistant taking over officially with the interim tag um, as they search for a a, a permanent coach. And mind you, Mike, O may end up being the candidate at the end of the season if he proves his track record well or vice versa. Um, But, you know, how fitting was it that Chuck Fletcher who hired Mike as the head coach um, back from Minnesota, I believe, 2012 or so? 13, yeah, a good 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, they're back together now out east of Philadelphia. So, very interesting there. Um, and then, more so on a grander scale, right? You talk about things that are changing. How about this? Uh, Gary Bettman noting that it will be up to the players to participate in the uh, Winter Olympics in Beijing. Now, interestingly enough, Noah, this was just this morning, is that um, it sounds like the Olympic Committee has said that if there are a a positive test that the Chinese law says that you must quarantine for anywhere from, was it 21 days to five weeks? Yeah. Um, so, um, that might put a little bit of a different taste in some of these players mouths, as far as if they decide to go now, mind you, I, I forget the exact date, but somewhere in January, I believe it's January 10th where the NHL came withdraw from participation without penalty. Um, but that story continues to evolve. And I would imagine with this latest development in terms of COVID sort of procedural, um, stuff that, that might change things moving forward. Uh, But notably, uh, speaking of which, Robin Leonard, uh, who would be on Team Sweden uh, if he's uh, on that roster, um, has offered to uh, play and and will stay with Vegas Golden Knights, uh, you know, as far as uh him not wanting to go to the olympics uh so you know you talk about uh citing his mental health concerns uh you know that's one way to look at it uh but i would imagine too just the quarantine period i think nhl players and i think also organizations might look at a sour eye for that as well
0: yeah absolutely and you know i it's I think obvious to say it takes a lot for a player to not want to represent their country on the biggest stage in sport, so to speak. So there's definitely some things that go along with that. Like you mentioned, mental health, uh, the piece obviously about uh, the, the travel restrictions, the COVID restrictions, those sort of things. Uh, it's a very interesting thought process. And I always know that, uh, similar to how the world juniors kind of affect the college hockey world. Uh, Obviously the Olympics have a disruption in the NHL schedule and world quite a bit uh, in the way that that works too. So there are some teams that would, you know, I would say the Minnesota wild might be one of them that would be a little bit unwilling to relinquish potential players that might actually make the roster. Should any of them be candidates as well too. So um, you know, definitely a decision that is up to the players and we'll have to see where it goes from there. Uh, speaking of players, Nick, uh, a couple of milestones for some NHLers and uh, a couple of players that are also hurt. Uh, and one retirement that we just got hot off the press, of course, we're reporting this on Saturday night, December 11th. Let's start with the injuries, uh, New Jersey, uh, goaltender, Jonathan Bernier, he's on injured reserve and, uh, lindy ruff says it's not looking good his hip injury is really concerning for him so hopefully he's going to be all right sounds a little more long term there in buffalo casey middlestap former minnesota golden gopher he's out indefinitely after upper body surgery uh pittsburgh's jake gensel he's week to week with an upper body injury and winnipeg's blake wheeler no timetable for him yet um but he looks to be out for the foreseeable future don't know if you had a chance to look at that one but it was a pretty nasty collision against Ugh. the vancouver canucks where his knee bent really awkwardly um as he was kind of crashing the net there and had two guys coming the other, other direction kind of fall awkwardly on that um uh, i would say lateral part of his leg so to speak and uh
1: and, and not quick pretty. On blake wheeler yeah not pretty but uh even more i guess timing wise though just received his silver stick so uh, his 1000th nhl game i believe was last week and uh yeah. when i picked a nice tribute for him so you talk about milestones uh not a good way to follow up and uh, as you mentioned that fall did not look very pretty
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, it hasn't been a twist, so to speak. Kidding. Um, hope, hoping that hoping that he's going to be all right. Of course, uh, uh, another former Minnesota Golden Gopher who scored a pretty iconic goal back in the 2007 WCHA Final Five against North Dakota. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. It's cool. Uh, anyway, uh, lastly, uh, let's talk about uh, some of those milestones as well as a retirement. Uh, let's start in Tampa Bay. Head coach John Cooper, the fastest NHL coach to 400 wins, sitting 39th all-time, or uh, er, in the total wins column and 50th in games coach. Now, mind you, one of the caveats to this, same with uh, the next person we're going to talk on, in this list. Um, the shootout era has kind of helped things a little bit where uh, coaches and players are able to kind of get there a little bit quicker. So um, uh, moving over to Chicago, Chicago net Miter Mark Andre Fleury joined Martin Brodeur and Patrick why as the only three goalies to hit 500 wins in NHL history with a two, nothing shutout at the bell center in Montreal. Lastly, Speaking of goaltenders, this one is our hot off the press topic here, and it's Ben Bishop, uh, former Tampa Bay Lightning goaltender, a Dallas star as well, too. He's hanging up the pads after 11 years in the National Hockey League due to his knee injury that's kind of been uh, ailing him since uh, March 10th of 2020. He made three appearances during the bubble in the 2020 playoffs in August. Actually had a pretty good run up until then for Dallas, I would say, but now 35 years old. It's been 14 months that he's been rehabbing the injury, and the club assigned him. the ahl in the past week made one appearance and allowed eight goals on 34 shots and uh general manager jim nill said uh he made the decision himself this is it um and he doesn't feel that his body can can continue a three-time vesna trophy finalist uh 222 wins 33 shutouts for him in his career um and fifth all-time in save percentage uh on that list behind uh, dominic hasik gen dryden Rask, and jack campbell uh so the six foot seven netminder He's going to take his time and uh, enjoy time with family. Unfortunately, it's some tough news for him. He's a great goaltender, kind of a staple of uh, Tampa Bay Lightning hockey in the mid-2010s for a long time. They had that Stanley Cup final run, and uh, hopefully we'll see him uh, on to bigger and better things in the hockey world. Once again folks welcome in episode number 91 nick maxson joining myself noah grant nick it's a pleasure to have you here on this saturday night uh for those of you listening on sunday morning and beyond we are recording a, a half a day early if you will um the minnesota wild play tonight los angeles at 9 30 p.m uh nick how are you doing on this saturday night what are you up to i see you got the christmas lights behind you did you put those up uh how's the festive season no you're not a christmas like are you a christmas like guy or are you uh i'm not doing that at all kind of guy
1: i'm the i don't have time for anything kind of guy so <laughs> um oh i but but seriously though um it's finals time uh so did a spanish final yesterday which mind you, was a recorded oral exam so you know you had to come up essentially a script. You had to do a a taped presentation. And uh, let's just say my short-term memory is not like it was. So uh, many takes were needed and it was not pretty. Um, So it, uh, but got it done. Um, So that class is now finished. Um, Just have a a math final to finish up and then the semester will be officially done. Uh, Yeah. So it's definitely a crunch time for me, but um, you know, definitely I don't know. It's not that I'm not in the festive mood, but I think I just, my brain hasn't shifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, going into now, and it's strange to say this, my final semester, thank Christ, um, <laughs> 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 of, uh, of college after quite, quite the road to get here. Um, it's almost surreal to think about, but looking just to try to finish strong and just get it done. So, um, haven't really quite gotten into the, uh, the moods of the holidays just yet, just because it's still work to be done. Yeah, no,
0: I definitely know the feeling. Uh, You and I had a discussion before we started. I just finished my exams this week and I had... Uh, a closing bout with the ATI testing for nursing school. For those of you who don't know, the NCLEX, of course, is the big nursing board that you have to pass. And the ATI tests that are uh, over various things, fundamentals, pharmacology, med surge, whatever it may be, um, are kind of designed to uh, be harder than the NCLEX that when you hit that actual board license examination that you're able to pass it hopefully with ease. Um, But it doesn't make things any easier. A passing mark is barely over 50% on these types of tests. So it kind of lets you know the kind of stress that they incur on us. And I was able to pass mine yesterday on Friday. So I am home free. I am off for four weeks until January 10th. So I'm really looking forward to the time off, but I totally empathize Nick because I studied for 25 weeks 25 weeks, 25 hours this week and definitely know what it's like to kind of say, I'm not studying. Yeah. Well, regardless. And I kind of know the feeling though of, you know, saying I, until I hit one o'clock on this Friday, you know, I haven't thought beyond that. I don't know what's going to happen beyond that, but that's that's my focus in mind. So, um, definitely a trying time. If you know a college student, I definitely give them the benefit of the doubt during finals week because it definitely is a difficult time for a lot of people, especially in broadcasting or healthcare. They are kind of stressful professions. In the public eye, uh, speaking of the public eye, Nick, uh, talking about some women's hockey, we're going to start there. I think uh, their matchup against Mankato. And uh, a public eye showing, unfortunately, that was not so great for the women's hockey team. They've been able to keep these games low scoring, but she can't get away with scoring just one goal on the weekend and an unassisted goal at that. Allie Cornelius, the lone goal scorer, Sonia Hola doing everything she can to keep keep the team uh, afloat, if you will, but Like you mentioned on Friday, three second period goals for Mankato in a three to nothing win. Then the Huskies uh, clawed their way back to two to one today on Saturday, but uh, weren't able to uh, find that equalizer and then an empty netter with just a second to play to make it three to one. Nick, I mean, you got a chance to watch this team uh, last week, too. They had a pair of one goal losses against Bemidji. You know, this is a team that they moved to, you know, 6, 11, and 1. But theoretically, if they grabbed all four of these games, you know, they would be, what would it be, 10, 7, and 1 Uh, overall in their record? If I can do some math very quickly there, that was very challenging. Um, (laughs) As you well know, I mean, not that we expected to get them all four, to, to get all four in the win column, but I think we expected at least one or two to go the Huskies direction. I mean, they have some time off. You know, what does this Huskies team do that seemed like they were trending in the right direction offensively and then just really have gone cold in the past couple of weeks?
1: Well, I think it starts with just puck possession of the offensive zone. Um, you know, uh, generating offense uh, for this team has been uh, challenging, to say it lightly, over you know, the past uh, few seasons. It's been a big reason to uh, where they've been in the WCHA Um but you know and we talked about this last weekend I was actually quite critical uh, of some of the things that I saw with this team and it's not that you know you want to come in here and, and you know and point out some of the, the negativities, but you know, talk about teams that are in the upper echelon of the WCHA and you talk about where the huskies are and they are doing some of those things and more importantly they're also do not doing some of the things that I'm seeing from the huskies as well. I think the biggest challenge for them is, the puck possession are not generating a scoring chance off of that possession. That's really where the fault is. Um, so, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, there just seems to be a lot of you know, either miscommunication or there seems to be not knowing where it's supposed to be a lot of folks out of position, not reading the play and anticipating the play more importantly. And so when you when you combine that with, you know, uh, with so reactive plays as well, where um, the Huskies, especially on the blue line and the offensive zone, seem to be very comfortable uh, with just not taking a look or maybe taking an extra stride. And um, you rarely see the blue liners the Huskies squad get a puck on that. Um, they're stuck on the end walls. They just love to cycle the puck back low, which. You know, and faults never a wrong play, uh, but they also aren't really a threat to put the puck on the net. So it really makes it easier for the defending squad to really uh, defend them. So uh, that's the biggest step that they need to take is take some of that possession time, which they've been much better this season. But what they've been not good at is getting those pucks into those dangerous areas um, and getting good quality chances on that. That's the piece that they're missing.
0: Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, it's funny. You mentioned uh, the, the defensive activation. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when you and I were at St. Cloud together, I was actually our good friend, Rachel Herzog. And one of the big stepping stones for her in her senior year was actually the ability to get to the middle of the ice and put pucks on net. It actually became a running theme where she wasn't scoring a lot, but she was creating opportunities. She was averaging like six or seven shots a game from the back end, which is pretty good uh, defensively. And then that's where I think, you know, a player losing a player like Olivia Hanson, maybe she was kind of uh, a staple on that. Power play and just as a one time option, just having a defenseman that, like you mentioned, you know, you go back to the men's hockey team, your Jack of your Jimmy Schultz, your Nick Purbix's. Look how many shot attempts Nick Purbix had, I believe, in the game on Friday against North Dakota. I think he had eight shot attempts or shots on goal, if I'm not mistaken. You know, not every play has to be, like I mentioned, in grade A, where you're barreling down the slot and you walk around, you know, two forwards to get a shot on net from the point. But they teach defenders so much is that, you know, if you can step to the middle or at least make the play a little bit unpredictable enough to where you can get a shot through a lane. I mean, a shot on goal is a shot on goal. It's an opportunity. You're making a goal to make a save. You have a chance for redirections, traffic in front. You never know what's going to happen, but you can't score if the puck doesn't go on net, obviously. So and like you mentioned puck possession time doesn't mean a whole lot if you're not able to at some point get off the half wall or get out of the corners and try to threaten the middle of the ice and uh unfortunately that has been a trend that we've seen from this women's hockey team over, over the past couple of years is that their chances are either kind of one and dones coming off the rush or if they're not they're not able to generate enough zone time that leads to pushing towards the middle of the ice right now and then uh, right now this last weekend unfortunately really showed on the scoreboard and you know the weekend before they had uh i what was it three goals on friday night but then it was a two to one loss on saturday as well too so the offensive well is not is not clicking as intended i i guess my question is you know you're the coaching staff right now is it a matter of you know adjusting the mentality of how the team forechecks, is it a matter of adjusting the way the forecheck is actually structured? How do you find a way to get the offensive oil flowing again for this women's hockey team?
1: Um, well, you know, as what former coach Bruce Boudreau would say is that, you know, at, at this level, you know, both you and your opponent, there's only so many ways you can play hockey. Right. Um, to me, it's not necessarily that is the structure of the forward check, but how you execute it. And to me, I think what the biggest execution piece missing for this women's squad is the girls without the puck. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, the puck possession, in the corners when I watched two weekends was actually pretty good. Uh, but oftentimes you saw this one play sticks out to me there was, it was the far corner and uh, the puck was going up the wall and the, and the defenseman was pinching and instead of one winger hanging down in the corner as a passing option both were essentially trying to cover for the defenseman so there's no communication there so in other right. words the defenseman didn't have a play she was being you know pressured to the wall she could like, put it back down to the corner and there was no way to retrieve the puck so it's basically like Okay, well, here have the puck, you guys. I have no idea what else to do. So, there's a lot of that that needs to change. Um, and I think also too, just you know, you talk about active defense too. Um, when was the last time that we watched a, a Saint Louis hockey game and not just pinching in the wall, but actually getting involved, like getting on top mm-hmm. of the circles? I mean, watch what Mark Johnson does in Wisconsin. You almost have four or five uh, players involved in the offensive zone. I just don't think there's enough involvement from the Huskies' D. I just don't think so. So. Um, And a big reason, I think, why we're going to talk about the Wild here a little bit later, why they've been so successful offensively is because everybody um, goes and their wings cover for them. There's communication. And that's what the women are missing. You're just there's there's no it's just too easy. You're defending three people on the ice when there's five. And that's just not enough involvement for everybody. Um, And I just also, as I mentioned before, doesn't feel like everybody's on the same page when they're on the ice
0: yeah and the other piece of this too is it's a lot easier to have your defenseman jump up when they're fresh off a shift and uh, they're not defending in their own zone too right that extended time in your own zone definitely you know puts pressure on things and I do remember you know in my high school days of course my head coach David Hoff who's the head coach of the U.S. Olympic sled hockey team did a lot with USA hockey and got to go to a lot of those NHL level coaching seminars and one of the things that we picked up on is you know entering the zone usually you have three layers of flow so to speak when you enter a zone you have the puck carrier who enters first, and then you have a winger who drives the net and then someone who kind of stays high. But then you, if you have a really good offense, you have maybe a defenseman who's on the weak side or kind of in the middle, who's what we call a flat drop pass option, meaning they're kind of diagonally open behind you and able to support that play. And the Huskies don't have that. And sometimes they don't even have that second winger that's driving or hanging back to create that option. And and like you talked about, you know, speaking of the specific play that you mentioned, sometimes one of the best things I enjoyed as a player and especially as a winger offensively, cause I mean, I love to score goals. And one of the things that was nice is, you know, if we turn the puck over the puck got cycled from low to high and I was the player in the corner, it was nice because you would see everybody move up towards that defenseman or kind of shift back towards the middle of the ice. And if you're down in the corner, why, why move? I mean, obviously there are times to move, but sometimes just stay put, stay in the soft, quiet areas of the ice you're suddenly a passing option because all of the chaos, all of the flow has moved away from you. And now you're, you're a quiet option back on the weak side where the play just made. Why do you think players run scissor plays all the time? Because it forces the defenseman to go one way and the other player is that option on the weak side. And, um, That's what the men's hockey team, when they're really clicking, does so well. And some of these best goal scorers, a great example is Easter Brodzinski, not a guy who's very fleet of foot, but the way his game is successful, he's a goal scorer and he's a shooter. So when he's not possessing the puck, he finds a quiet area. Vieti Mieten's kind of the same way, too, finds a quiet area of the ice, and suddenly, boom, the puck's on his stick and he wastes no time shooting. And you're like, wait, I didn't realize he was open on the back door there. I didn't know he was, you know, had the puck all of a sudden. And that's what good players do. Um, And it feels like they're always in the right position, but really they're finding ways to create their own open patch of ice and anticipate very, very well.
1: And on talk of, you know, you talked about the anticipation too, it has to be from the puck carrier to understand that, you know, that player is finding open ice and, you know, at the collegiate level, even more, um, in the pro levels, right. That window is not going to be glaring with a big, you know, red flashing beacon of light. You have to sort of be anticipatory, um, and trust that you're, you know, that player is going to be there too. So that's when a little bit of that structure comes into, and also knowing your line mates, but again, um, for women's hockey, especially, I think I used this last weekend, they're very much reactionary right now and they're not being proactive and not creating their own luck right now. They're very much uh, almost surviving the offensive zone. So there's definitely work to be done there.
0: Yeah, another guy to watch, uh, NHL level, by the way, that does that very well. Some guy named Kirill Kaprizov uh, does that very well in terms of anticipation. And it's funny, I was sitting and watching the game a couple of weekends ago when I went home for Thanksgiving, and my dad said, you know, Kirill Kaprizov kind of reminds me, honestly, of Wayne Gretzky. And I'm like, that's a that's a bold comparison there. Very, uh, yeah. But he kind of talked me through it, and he said, well, Wayne Gretzky's you know, name of the game was anticipation and his office was below the goal line. Well, Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov is kind of the same way in that he is usually one or two steps ahead, not necessarily in terms of creating turnovers and those things like Wayne Gretzky was, but more often when he does get the puck, he knows that even though he's going behind the net, he knows what Matt Zuccarello is doing. He knows what Ryan Hartman is about to do three, four five seconds before it happens. And uh, that's what good players do is like you mentioned, the player with the puck is important, but usually they're the least important if everything is clicking correctly because the players without the puck are making plays. And hey, what's the fastest thing on the ice? By the way, speaking of defense, uh, it's good to have a defenseman who can pick their way out of the zone, but also best thing on the ice of the puck. So move the darn thing, pass it uh, and hit the tape and move with numbers and speed. Um, speaking of moving on to things, Nick, why don't we move on to some Minnesota wild stuff and our trivia question for this week. Um, And this one was a stumper for a lot of people. I don't, I part of it might've been the way it was asked. We were talking about some regular season finishes in the Western conference, but the question did pertain to our Minnesota wild and it did read the Minnesota wild have been on a tear recently atop the Western conference. Since the team began in 2000, what is the best finishing position in the Western conference in wild history? And what was the year of that finish? Nick, do you happen to know what year this might
1: be? I remember seeing this earlier, but I do know it was second and was it sixteen-seventeen? It was two thousand sixteen-seventeen, a second place finish only to Chicago by a game
0: in the Western Conference. This one stumped a lot of people, um, in addition, because a lot of people and, and I it was actually intentional this time i asked the question because the wild have had some higher divisional finishes including 2008-09 winning the northwest division that have still seen them sitting at third in the western conference so it was kind of one that you really had to dig deep on that one um and take a look at but eric was our winner i'm not going to pronounce his handle because it's about 27 letters and a lot of letters at that um but nonetheless he has been a repeat winner for us um Like we mentioned, uh, the team that year was 49, 25, and eight. Um, To put that in perspective, Chicago had 50 wins that year. Um, The Wild were led by a guy named Mikhail Granlund. He led the team in points with, how about this, only 69 points for him that year. He was team leader. Uh, And Devin Dubnik's career high in goalie wins that season with 40. Um, This year, the Minnesota Wild, 19, and 1, plus 3, in the points column on Calgary entering tonight's action against the Los Angeles Kings. The Wild, like we mentioned, playing LA in LA tonight. There'll be in Vegas tomorrow or what would be today. If you're listening on Sunday, um, Nick Max will be in attendance back at the X energy center at home on Tuesday against Carolina. Then it's two more home games Thursday and Sunday against Buffalo and Florida respectively. And then following Dallas, um, the boys will head there on Monday, the 20th before a couple of days off before I think it's Detroit that following Thursday So there's kind of your updated extended schedule a little bit there, but Nick, The number that I think everyone's been paying attention to, and as soon as we say this, I'm sure the Wild will probably lose tonight and we'll jinx it, but nonetheless, the Wild on an eight-game winning streak right now, regardless of the streakness, they've looked good. They've looked good, and there have been a lot of great um, underlying and overarching signs for this club. What have you liked so far uh, the most over the past couple of weeks?
1: Uh, The five-on-five play. Um, you know, we, we talk about special teams uh, the last couple of weekends, considering the Huskies in North Dakota, especially. But, you know, the NHL, you have to win the five-on-five battle. You just absolutely have to. Um, yes, so we need to see improvement in the panel power play, no question about it. But I think Wild fans, you know, you got to feel happy, especially when it comes to playoff time. Um, your five-on-five game's got to be better. And, in fact, I believe it was Vegas last year that actually was very complimentary of the Wild in their five-on-five game if it wasn't for some of special teams. I think Minnesota actually had maybe the upper hand in that series in terms of uh, even strength, uh, uh, essentially goals and and whatnot. So I like what I see five on five. I I like Cam Talbot too. He's playing lights out hockey right now. Um, You know, if there's any, maybe one thing I'm a little concerned about is you know, he's sometimes having to bail out the team a little bit more than I think he should have to. Um, that's a little bit of the way that the Wilders structuring your offense. Uh, Dean Evison does want, you know, all five guys to be involved and to not be afraid to go in and, and you'll know, generate offense. So uh, there are some odd number of chances going the other way. So it's sort of expected with the aggressiveness of the uh, offensive nature of the squad, but uh, he's made the big saves when he's needed to. And uh, the penalty kill has been really good too for the wild. So you got to like what you see. And again, there's no, even, you know, when you win the Stanley cup, there's no perfect team, but you know, for the deficiency of this, where this wild team has been, they've been obviously very successful and uh, like what I see so far.
0: Yeah, they've been very good and you know how often is it I want to go back to that phrase that you just said. Cam Talbot has had to bail out this Minnesota Wild team because they've been too offensive at times. When is the last time you've heard a Minnesota Wild club be described that way? I mean, there are so many exciting things. Never. And, and, yeah, exactly. And you talk about <laughs> the guy who the guy who's been on the trade block and um, you know, nothing's really been done because the Wild have been playing so well and I think he's played all right for the most part too just really snake bit that's kevin fiala i mean his expected goals for is in the negatives but the way he plays i mean he should have 10 12 13 more points than the guy does this this season in fact i kind of want to go back he's still you know he's one two three four five he's tied for fifth on the team with 17 points four goals 13 assists so he's still chipping in on the assist column he's plus three on the season Uh, 89 shots to his credit this season. Uh, That's tied for second on the team, Uh, or that's, excuse me, that's tied for first on the team with Ryan Hartman and Kirill Kaprizov has 87 is the only kind of guy that's close um, as well too. But uh, you know, maybe let's touch on that real quickly here, Nick, before we talk about uh, some of the big guns and the surprising big guns, a la Ryan Hartman, Um, you know, is Kevin Fiala a guy, you know, as you move farther along in the season, if Minnesota continues to have success, I know there's talk about his contract expiring the wild, not being able to afford him. Is he a guy you want to remove from this equation? Or do you feel like he's still enough of a disruptor that you hang on to him because of what he brings as a utility guy up and down the lineup right now?
1: It's a fantastic question. Right. Um, and we, we've seen one of those scenarios play out AKA Chuck Fletcher, AKA Marty Hansel, Ryan White. Um, you yeah, know, that so, yeah right um it's kind of both ways right now talking uh, you know if you're in bill garrett shoes right uh, we we all discuss what's coming next year in terms of the salary cap limitations um obviously contracts thing but you can't play tomorrow's salary cap now you just can't um you have to take on and, and worry about their current season right so uh, now, if you were really that concerned about Fiala, um, I do you know, mind you, this team is the first in the West, you know, first in the division for sure. Um, you know, first, if not second, in the Western conference, I don't think really right now, um, you really need anything right now from him more than what he's done. I do think he's enough of a disruptor. I think he's enough of a game changer as you mentioned before, uh, he should have a lot more goals. And I think the upper management does see that. Um, Can you imagine this wild Club if he starts to actually pot some of those that could be just absolutely nasty, um, you know, and that's, and that's kind of the bigger scope, right. Which is, you know, when you have guys, and we'll touch on Ryan Hartman, Kaprizov, and you got others. You know, you're scoring by a committee. That kind of takes a little pressure off Kevin Fiala, right? It's almost like he doesn't have to. But imagine when he does actually start getting the goals and getting those points racked up. That just means this team is much more dangerous because you're going to have guys go on streaks, right? These players of Fiala's talent are kind of streaky. We've seen that in years past. Um, so right now, I mean, I know in Minnesota. Maybe if there's anything, I know the JT uh, uh trade talks have been there, but you know, is it, there's two things. Are you, are you really improving your team for right now? Um, is it worth the trade? And, you know, what do you give up for future if you do that? Right. So, um, and do you disrupt, you know, what you have in the locker room? Cause I think if we've, if there's anything we've seen or the course of this year, um, especially with some certain departures, um, this team looks not only different on the ice. I think they look a lot different off the ice, too. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, you know, that team bonding is important to this as well. So um, it's not an easy decision. But if I'm in Bill Guerin shoes, I don't touch this wild squad. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that, that's how I see it.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. You mentioned JT Miller, 27 points in the year for him. uh, Tied for, I I guess if you're doing tied, definitely in the top 20 in the NHL. Also with a guy uh, out in Nashville by the name of Mikhail Granlin, five goals, 22 assists for him. He's having a good season too. Uh, But how about Kirill Kaprizov, tied for fifth in the National Hockey League in points overall, just behind Dreisaitl, McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, and a guy by the name of Nazem Kadri. What a year that he's having this season, 11 goals to his credit this year too. But Kirill Kaprizov, 10 goals, 22 assists. There was where about uh his scoring touch um i think he's found it i don't know they ever lost it per se but um nonetheless he's looked good um but before we get to him i i did want to mention one thing about kevin fiala i i like him for the specific sense that he's a gamer And I know that's a phrase that you you kind of throw around a little bit in the hockey world, but he's a guy where, yeah, he's not getting the bounces that he wants, but I love players that play hard every single night. Does he get a little bit overzealous and try to do a bit too much sometimes? Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. But I think I would honestly rather prefer a player that has the ability or tries to be capable enough to carry the game a little bit too much on his shoulders than having a player who I really honestly, I really like Victor Rask, but Victor Rask is never going to be that guy that can take a game on his shoulders like Kevin Fiala can. Right. Um, And I, he's just an asset that I think the Minnesota wild um, club should be happy to have. And who knows? I know that he had the one-year deal. They're looking for more production out of him, but at the same time, you know, if his production just for whatever reason, doesn't find, you know, that extra gear this year, he might return to being in affordable territory potentially for the Minnesota wild. I mean, who knows? Um, you know, maybe the wild do afford Kevin feel at the end of the year, if he doesn't, you know, produce the way that they expect. And then he has a breakout year. Once we start get out of getting out of the uh, Zach breezy, Ryan Suter stuff, but nonetheless, the wild do have a superstar uh, in Kirill Kaprizov that they're able to build around. He's look exceptional. Um, you know, and I love as much as the scoring touch, I love the consistency of his assists, the ability for him to play, make he, he is a proven playmaker um, has been. That's just, that really is what his game is. I think his scoring touch is the added tool that people who watch them don't necessarily key in on. I, I don't, I don't see him as a goal scorer. I've always seen him as a playmaker because of his edge work, because of the way that he anticipates and plays. Um, and I know a lot of people that I talk to see him the same way. Ryan Hartman, on the other hand, I don't know what people saw him as, but he's got 13 goals this season, Nick. Um, and a guy that he was a first round draft pick career high is 19 goals for him and his true rookie campaign with Chicago. He's on pace to shatter that. If he continues to do any sort of normalcy for him this completely year. that, <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. One, what has allowed Ryan Hartman to settle this game down and find that consistency? Is it playing in the top six? Is it taking the opportunity? What is it? And number two, is this something I, you know, is this something that we should be accustomed to seeing Ryan Hartman doing in the future? Is this the new Ryan Hartman or is this kind of an Eric Stahl situation where yes, he's a great hockey player, but we don't expect him to produce at that level again.
1: Um, So let's preface it this way. Eric Stahl, when he did that was what? 35 Yeah, 35, 35, right. Uh Ryan Hartman's what 27, 28. Um, so there's there's a difference there. Um, also the talent that's around him um is vastly different. Um Ryan Hartman, when he came in the league, um, you know, when you look at players and you're discussing and you're scouting, you know, what their strengths are, and whatnot. Ryan Hartman was a guy that had a lot of tools in the toolbox, right? Um, but at the NHL level, it's you know what tools come out and what tools can you string together to be a complete player, right? Um, Hartman. Was always good defensively. He's always had a pretty decent shot. Uh, maybe not the best passer, maybe not the best playmaker. Um, so what he's got is he's got two, uh, maybe some of the best playmakers in the National Hockey League. And you take a guy that has strength with a shot, and mind you, being a right-handed shot, uh, not easy to find around the National Hockey League these days. And uh, let's not say this, uh, you're playing with confidence too. I think confidence is huge, especially for people that love uh, to shoot the puck. And uh, for Ryan Hart right now, He's got the perfect storm um, that's just, you know, coming together for him. Um, I think he's in a, the perfect situation for his game. Um, I think his game complements either two that is on his line and Zuccarello and Kaprizov. And uh, again, when the team is winning, when you're shooting the puck and it's going in the net, um, you know, again, you know, Brooke will fix it. So I think Right Hartman's the beneficiary of not only what he brings to the table, but also his surroundings.
0: Yeah. You know, and the thing that's really impressed me about this Minnesota Wild Group, yes, you have your Ryan Hartman's, your for real but how about this, Nick? Besides Nick Bukestad, who, for whatever reason, just hasn't found the production piece this year, uh, three points for him in 23 games. Jordy Ben's got two points on the air, and Mason Shaw has a single game played. What a great story Mason Shaw has been, by the way. But uh, um, And Jared Spurgeon has been hurt, so he's only has 18 games, but eight points for him. Everybody else above that in the lineup has nine points or better. So let me put that to you this way. If they played all 26 games, they're sitting at just under, or just under .35 points per game, which – Statistically doesn't sound like a lot, but anything close to 0.5 points per game, even 0.4 points per game is pretty good, especially for guys in the back end, your John Merrills, your fourth line guys, your your Brandon Duhames. And one of the guys that's in there is Victor Rask, who has nine points in 16 games played. So he's doing even better when he's been in the lineup and um, contributing offensively. So not only have the wild look good. They have really spread the wealth. Dmitry Kulikov is just under half a point per game player, 12 points in 25 games. The contributions have been everywhere. From as this a defenseman. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. You know, Rem Pitlick, 10 points in 16 games for him. Matt Dumba's having a great season. He's kind of cooled off production wise as of late, but I still think that he's continuing to drive the play offensively. Um, you know, it, it, is there a guy, I guess let, let's throw it to you this way before we head over to our extra session. My final question is, um, Obviously fans should be excited about watching this team. Is there one guy that continues to surprise you or on the other side, is there one guy that you're feeling is kind of the last link to this chain that needs to kind of hit that extra gear for this wild team to take it to the next level?
1: I think there is one guy that needs to elevate a little bit. That's Jordan Greenway. Um, I think that he has been trending in that right direction. Um, For a guy of his size, um, you see when he plays a physical style that, you know, he can be very impactful on a hockey game. Uh, But he's also, you know, a former World Junior, you know, uh, participant for Team USA. Um, He's got some finesse to his game. He's got some offense. Uh, We've seen that here in pieces, um, you know, with him. But if he can maybe start stringing that together a little bit more consistently, um, I think that could be holy cow for this Minnesota Wild squad. um, Someone who's impressed me the most. Um, honestly, I don't think this could come a surprise How about Marcus Foligno, yeah. um, you know, in, not in terms of what he brings on and off the ice, but, you know, his offense, I mean, holy cow, uh, just a, such a smart player. Um, it's all around you know just like being a leader on this team he's willing to go, to go to war for his teammates so so he's got the grit he's got the finesse he's got the smarts he's a very smart hockey player I think that often gets overlooked with Marcus Felino. he's very very smart in terms of his hockey IQ and then we've seen him he's got what how many power play goals this season or three or four and that's like more than he's had his entire career combined so he's getting points so he's producing offensively he's kind of like an all-around player and I guess for me it's been surprising to me to see I guy uh, that's been kind of known as more of, you know, kind of a grinder type be able to, you know, uh, also produce offensively. So I've really been liking what I've seen of a, a complete picture with Marcus Foligno, AKA the moose.
0: Yeah. Marcus Foligno, like you mentioned four power play goals to his credit before this season, he has three this year for a total of seven in his career for power play goals, power play points. He has four assists this year, 18 total in his career for power play assists and a guy that uh overall 17 points in 26 games for him. And a guy that, like you mentioned, he's not a player that when he came to Minnesota, I mean, he, he was kind of, kind of the guy a little bit more in Buffalo just because of their depleted lineup, but uh, really has solidified himself, not only as a, a good offensive producer, but he's a guy you wouldn't want to meet in an alleyway if he was ticked off at you. But he's also a guy you love to meet in an alleyway if you needed some help because he's a great human being, you know, off the ice and, uh, you know, treats his teammates with respect and that sort of thing. So should be fun. we got a lot of Minnesota Wild Hockey, of course, to catch up on this weekend as well as moving into this week. So definitely um, in the next week get a chance to check out some Minnesota Wild Hockey because the week after they do have a couple of days off in the stretch between Dallas and Detroit there as well. Um, Nick, let's head over to some extra ice uh, session things here. And we've got a play that shocked the hockey world that we're going to discuss. welcome in folks extra ice session here noah grant alongside nick max and nick i if you haven't seen this play that we're about to discuss uh you should stop living under a rock um i'm not talking you specifically nick i'm talking our listeners um what an amazing play that this was from the anaheim ducks sonny milano and trevor zegris trevor (laughs) zegris doing the 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 pseudo Michigan, if you will, essentially flip your curling the puck up on his stick and throwing it over top of the net. And Sonny Milano, also a very important piece of this play, able to come around the other side and bat the puck um, out of the air. And one of the highlight reel goals, potentially not only goal of the year, but I would say uh, potentially goal of the 2000s, honestly, with how good that that play was. I mean, that was right up there with one of the best that we've seen in recent memory. Before we get to what the actual topic is, of today's extra eye session is when you saw that play for the first time one how many times did you re-watch it on your twitter feed and number two what were your first reactions
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh uh, at least a dozen times um because initially i tweeted out that or at least i thought that he had actually banked it off of the goalie's uh, back of his helmet um but then watching uh, some of those close-up uh, shots of it, I, I realized that Sonny Milano uh, batted out of midair. And then it was just, you know, poof. and I think my initial reaction was, I think the even Trevor's egress, you know, his face was just like completely in shock. Like, did that just work? Like, yeah. oh my gosh. I mean, just huge smile. Uh, wonderful to see uh, that kind of skill. And, you know, it's one thing Noah that, you know, in practice, I think as hockey players, you see this more than any other sport where, you know, you're, you're kind of screwing around and, you know, you have these sort of, you know, trick plays on your stick. Like I know Austin Matthews kind of started I mean, with the Zorro on his stick and, yeah. you know, but you see that more as goofing around. And then, you know, you see something like that where something clicks and all of a sudden you're actually trying to do it in game. I mean, we saw this with St. Cloud with Yama doing the Michigan um, against North Dakota. You know, it's one of those things where uh, I don't know if as a player, it's, it's, it's hard to really, encapsulate because it really isn't a thought process it's more just like something just clicks and you just do it i don't know how else to describe it it's, it's a confidence thing it's a creativity thing it's not something when you're like oh i'm gonna try that on the bench it just kind of happens and so for the fact that Zigra saw the opportunity and decided to give it a shot and to, it actually got executed this it was wonderful to see
0: yeah before we get to some story time here nick i want to follow up i'm kind of trying to set the stage here a little bit if you had to rate scale of one to 10, 10 being, oh my gosh, that was the most unreal thing I've ever seen in my life. And one being, ah, eh, I've, I've seen better at a wee hockey game. What would you rate it on a scale of one to 10? And for someone who doesn't watch hockey, cause this, this video got a lot of traction in the non-hockey world and kind of put some NHL stuff on the map. If you had to describe it, you know, in a sentence or a short blurb for someone who doesn't watch hockey, I know that's kind of tough. So I'm trying to buy you some time to think about it. How would you describe it? And what would you rate it on the scale of one to 10?
1: I want to describe it. This is an alley oop of basketball. Honestly, that's that's it. Um, you don't see that, and I think even for a very casual hockey fan, they know that you don't see the puck being flipped over the net intentionally, or even unintentionally very often. And someone bats it out of midair. Um, you know, sort of like that. It's just it's not something you see. Um, you know. I think Sidney Crosby has kind of perfected, you know, how to bat the puck out of the, you know, out of the air with the stick. I mean, just incredible hand-eye coordination, but, you know, to have it to be involved with two players, right? So one to Mm -hmm. actually corral the puck, then purposely lob it over the net. And then two, to have a player waiting for not only one to get the puck below the crossbar. So it's a legal play. And then to make the contact, to get it past the goaltender. He wasn't far away. So there's not much room up there. To be able to execute that, the most casual fans understand that that was something new and that was something very, very difficult. So on a scale of one to 10, one followed by a zero definitely
0: gets a (laughs) 10. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I mean, it was just one of those skill plays. And those are the things that, I mean, you do where not necessarily the Michigan scoop, but you flip it over the net and you hope you have a teammate there, but the play has got to be at the right time. You hope that the player that's there makes contact and doesn't uh, hit a foul ball, so to speak. Um, You know, there's a lot of pieces that have to go together and that's in a men's rec hockey game, let alone in the national hockey league level. I mean, impressive that what you can do. What's up.
1: So, for those, and this question was asked too, was this the first time we've seen this? The actual answer is no. Um, was it the first time it was executed? Yes. Uh, Pavel Datsup actually tried this yeah. route, right? Where he lobbed the puck over the net. Although I'm pretty sure that there was nobody waiting to bat it out of midair. I think it was more of trying just to create chaos and maybe have someone find a loose puck in the slot. So it wasn't a coordinated type thing, which makes this place so cool um, to think about was this, you know, this was a planned play right between these two. Um, but, you know, not the first time, but it's been how long, probably over a decade since that original play took place. And I can't remember of anything in between that, that actually, um, we even an attempt of that. So not the first time we've seen it, um, but, uh, you know, seeing the, the reactions across the country and some of the hockey practice, mm-hmm. this has quickly become uh, quite the trend in the, the hockey practices. Even the youth hockey has been kind of fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Most people would agree with you. There's a certain uh, analyst here and this is going to be the crutch of our story that uh, um, thinks that it was a skill play, no doubt, but uh, has some qualms about it. So I'm going to uh, fill out the listeners in with some story time here. This comes from John Tortorella, a former Columbus Blue Jackets, Tampa Bay Lightning, New York Rangers bench. Oh, boss. wait,
1: Torrance is upset to say no way.
0: Yeah. Um, hey, Connor McDavid needs to just shut up and play hockey, right? Uh, nonetheless, This is what John Tortorella said about this. So uh, buckle your seatbelts here. We're going to have some paragraph story time here. He said, quote, it's tremendously skilled for Sonny Milano, even to yell Michigan in the middle of a play in a game is a skill. That's a skill play. My position, though, is it good for the game? I'm not so sure. And again, I'm not trying to be a fool here, but I'm just not so sure it's great for the game. If you did that back in 2000s, late 90s, 2000, you get your head taken off. It's cool. It's cool to watch and all that, but I'm not so sure it's good for the game. I have a talk with the people uh meaning Sonny Milano and Trevor Zegras after the game I would again I'm not trying to be difficult about it it's fun to watch it's really cool I just think our game has gone so far away of what, what the game should be a hard game an honest game it's almost gotten too showman I know you need to have it you need to sell the game but just from the ilk that it's still a hard game to play and a good honest hockey game needs to be played I think some of this stuff we just get carried away Nick uh I don't know that there's uh, going back to your Bruce Boudreau comment uh, with the women's hockey team. There's only so many ways that you can play hockey, so to speak. Well, Trevor Zegers and Sonny Milano just invented a new one. It makes me think back to when some kid in the QMJHL named, uh, I don't know, Sidney Crosby or something did some between the legs goal. And then everybody on planet earth was doing that play in their garage after they saw that sort of play. Some guy named Pavel Dotsuk who came in and absolutely undressed Thomas Volkun and shipped a puck over his shoulder (laughs) Everybody was trying that. Like you mentioned, the Zara with Austin Matthews. I don't get this. I I, I don't understand it. Yes. Hockey is a hard game. That's what makes it so special. John Tortorella is that the game is so difficult to be able to pull that playoff at high speed and have the skill and creativity. I I, I don't I I don't get the whole you would have gotten your head taken off, man. If it was 1999 and I could do that and set up Brian Rolston cruising down the slot and doing that and get my head taken off, I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. That was unreal. Um, Nick, I know you read the comments from John Tortorella. What do you think?
1: Uh, I would have loved to have seen John Tortorella be born 30 years prior. And here's why I say that. Um, let's go back to the history and the development of hockey. It's always been trending this way. Um, Maybe, maybe a lot of our even casualists are like, at one point, you couldn't pass the puck forward in hockey. That was an illegal play. Yeah, let's think about that for a second. You couldn't pass the puck forward. Um, not that long ago, in fact, was it 2013? Um, the two-line rule, that the red line, the two-line pass was still in effect. So you couldn't pass the puck forward more than two lines. It was only one line, right? So I wonder if that's what he means, honest stupid, boring hockey to watch. Anyway, um, I can kind of dissect this a little bit. So essentially, I I don't know if he actually disagrees with the play. I think he actually has a broader view of what's happening in the game of hockey. I don't know if he wants the Mike Keenan version of hockey of, you know, early, you know, late, late 80s, early 90s Rangers kind of thing where, you know, it's the it's the man's game. It's this hard hitting, you know, sort of just, you know, Brawling kind of thing i I don't know but you know that's kind of the impression i get um whereas you know the game has significantly evolved to be the skill and speed and all you know just unbelievable creativity too um the last probably i would say at least 15 years and at the end of it you know we've kind of i would say we entered a new frontier but you talk about some of these rule changes that where offense, you know, has continued to grow in hockey. And, and, and it's funny back a while ago, Noah, I'm going to get a little long winded here. So I apologize. I actually, at one point I defended how a game in hockey that ended up one, nothing in an overtime was just as much fun as a six to five game. Um, I, I, w- I have to say even going back and looking at that, depending on the game, I'm completely dead wrong. Um, and it's funny that for the game of hockey, which is still continuing to try to grow its you know, sort of its marketability to the casual fans out there, um, what's wrong with this? Especially when you had, hours later, people outside the hockey world talking about it, and you had people even within the hockey were going, what the hell did I just witness? Um, that's good for the game. So when you, I don't know what he gets. Why this is bad for the game? Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing that I can think of is him being old school with his brain stuck in 1979. Would so, be that. Also, so let me finish real quick. Real yeah. quick um, is that you know for for him you know with all these skill plays he doesn't he sees you know, cause again, he was a head coach. He sees all this stuff that happened in practice, right? So he's been on that same side that you and I, which I discussed earlier, where you know, you usually see this in practice, not, not on, you know, a game day type thing. So I think for him, he's going, this is just guys goofing around. This is just showmanship. This isn't a skilled play when the reality is everybody else that watches the game, they don't see that practice. You know, they don't see, you know, the skill a lot of these players really have. They just, again, these are low percentage plays um, that, you know, and that's a big reason why you don't see him in the NHL because, you know, every player is defends well. And with these creative plays, the ability to execute them is almost, it's very slim. So, but now that one has, right. Um, all of a sudden now it's showmanship and not an actual execution of skill, which I think is where he's entirely wrong to begin there.
0: Yeah. Well, I might be a little bit old school. I actually do love a one, nothing hockey game, but like you mentioned, it has to be the right game. A one nothing hockey game, if it's a goalie duel where it's high flying action, where it's it almost is going to take a mountain of to climb to beat one of the goaltenders. That's where it's interesting. If it's a flat one nothing game, it's not exciting. But um, if it's high flying, just like a six five game would be, but all but one of the goals was a great a save and unreal defensive play, then I think it's exciting. But beyond that, I tried to think about okay, well, how do I justify his comments? Like if if I'm John Tortorella, what do I really mean here? And the only thing that I can come up with is, you know, does he mean it along the lines of players are becoming too, I don't know, soft or trying to do things that aren't, you know, like tenacious, hard on plays where like you can make. Like, for example, the knock on Austin Matthews, that he's an unreal goal scorer, but you couldn't get him to go in the corner for the first three years of his career, essentially, because he wasn't a physical player. I mean, is that what John Turrell is saying, is that we can't lose the physicality and tenacity of the game in lieu of players that can make these plays, but are fragile as all get out, essentially, or, or you know, can't, can't play the physical part of the game or the gritty part of the game, too. Um, you know, but I, I think that this NHL has bred the best of both worlds. You have your Matthew Kachucks, you know, your players who they have that unreal skill, but they also can, you know, drop the gloves and have the fisticuffs and uh, you know, have a brother that gets his uh, hand bitten off, so to speak. Um, You know, there are, uh, there are, uh, you know, there are so many reasons to love the game of hockey and love the NHL because of the way the skill is played. Your Kirill Kaprizov's all that jazz. Yeah. I mean, you don't want players to stop hitting each other entirely and just trying to do circus acts. I mean, I guess I, I get that because it's not a high percentage play. I guess I understand that, but as far as a one-off event where the timing absolutely worked and the players who even scored it were shocked that it worked, enjoy the moment and move on enjoy what it means for the national hockey league. In my opinion, that's the, that's the only way that I can think of where maybe he's coming from, but nonetheless, I mean, Nick, I I don't know about you, but I definitely don't see every NHL player suddenly trying to do these ridiculous wild plays or Yami Cranola for the next 20 games for the Huskies trying to do the Michigan. Every time he comes behind the net, Um, it's just right place, right time and uh, right skill.
1: True, and uh, there's a reason why John Tortorella's office is at, ESPN, not at the ESPN and NHL bench. Let's just put it that way. So that is a shot to John Tortorella a little bit. I'm not going to lie; uh, he's a great soundbite. But at the end yeah. of the day, um, I do think the game has kind of passed him by as far as where the game is headed. Um, and this, I think, is just another example of of that. I, I just don't think he understands that he's caught in this play from between Ziggins and all this is showing off and this is nothing more. And you know, it's that cutesy little, Oh, you know, now you're just being a show off. So I think that's where he's like, you know, you'd have your, your head taken off comment kind of thing. Whereas this isn't hockey. This is just, you know, a circus act. This isn't real hockey. Um, no, John, that's a high skill play to hey, first of all, just to get the puck on your stick um, and to control it to perfectly love it over the net. And to have another player recognize that, go with it, wait for the puck to get below the crossbar, smack it above the goalie's shoulder, who was in his butterfly. There wasn't a lot of room there, again, as I mentioned before, and then to actually put it in the net. So, Again, um, I think it's just a different way of looking at the game. Now, granted, he's been around the game a lot more than I have, and he will always have a lot more initial credence to him than I will. But I just think that, again, for for John Tortorella, um, I think he's flat out wrong here. Um, It's good for the game. I think it's good for the fans, especially. Um, That's exciting stuff to watch. Um, And and like you mentioned, is this a play that we're going to see night in, night out? No, not at all. But maybe we do see more of it. Again, the the between-the-legs goal, We now we see... That skill being practiced, you know, even on the power play. James Van we really good at that. Matt Boldy, a wild prospect, really good at that. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those things where now, you know, it forces people to defend a little bit differently. It, it shows that you have something else in the bag, it's another area of deception. Right. Isn't that the whole thing in hockey is you have to be deceptive of what you do. So uh, that's a hockey play, John. Sorry. So I don't know. At the end of the day, um, I, I loved it. I think uh, it's great um, that these guys pulled it off again. That will be uh, a living infamy. Uh, might be the goal of the decade or not, you know, just barely one year into this thing. So uh, what a play and uh, uh, what a great day for the NHL to be in the spotlight for a little bit.
0: Yeah, funny to think that he says it's not real hockey. Last time I checked, the puck was legally batted in over the goal line. I think that's always been the same in the rule book for uh, years and years to come. Maybe John's just salty because he can't do it himself. Um, I also probably can't do it either. But nonetheless, what we can do is we can keep you informed here about Huskies hockey and Minnesota Wild Hockey. Like you mentioned, women's hockey off until New Year's, January 1st. They're going to be in Pittsburgh facing Penn State. Men's hockey off until December 30th. They're going to be up uh, in Bemidji that Friday and then following at home on Saturday. First. Yeah. Oh, 31st. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that what, what yeah. You know what I meant. Right before New Year's. New Year's is when hockey's happening for Huskies hockey. That's what we're trying to say. Um, as far as professional hockey is concerned, the Minnesota Wild, uh, we're recording tonight on Saturday. They're playing L.A. tonight looking for their ninth straight, straight win. Vegas tomorrow night on Sunday. Carolina Tuesday. Buffalo Thursday. Florida Sunday. And Dallas on Monday before a couple of days off before welcoming or heading to Detroit, if I'm not mistaken, or welcoming. You. One of the two. That's a long ways out. We'll keep you updated, of course, for episode number 92. And we will see you Soon here in the den. And
1: your one timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perlitz! So Dana Raspasin fires and she scores! Dana Raspasin for the Huskies. No. Dwayne Caprishov in for a chance to win. seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.